I'm Dr. Suzanne Blazing, and I'm a psychedelic-assisted psychotherapist. We're in a mental health crisis, depression, anxiety, suicidality, PTSD, eating disorders. We've seen rates of depression, suicidality, over 20% increase since the pandemic. And, you know, using psychedelic medicine with psychotherapy is really showing some incredible results that we don't see in even using SSRIs or talk therapy alone. Those only are effective for 40% of the population. And with that, there are some incredibly difficult side effects. And when you're looking then at psychedelics, that rate, the onset is quite fast. You know, you look at ketamine and it's within hours. So, you know, looking at psychedelics as a way to really help people right away and long-term. I did a deep dive into the research and what I found is really amazing. I'm Darian. I'm Elena, and this is our podcast, Step Into Success. Where we give you an inside look at how people are currently creating success in their respective fields. Our mission is to bring you into the trenches for an inside view, and hopefully give some inspiration and knowledge as you work towards success in your own way. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Step Into Success podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Suzanne Blazing, coming to us from Colorado. I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Blazing and let her introduce herself. We're super excited for the conversation. Hi, thank you for having me today. Um, so I'm Dr. Suzanne Blazing, and I'm a psychedelic-assisted psychotherapist. Okay, so what exactly does that all entail? Can you go deeper into what it is exactly that you do? So um, right now I'm working with uh, psychedelic medicines and psychotherapy. So for the past you know, two decades, I've worked in traditional psychotherapy. And about five years ago, I started to make the transition with working with psychedelic medicines coupled with psychotherapy. So what inspired you to make that change from something that was a little bit more traditional to something that was more non-traditional? You know, actually, it was a patient of mine. Um, about six years ago, a patient that I had been treating um, with treatment-resistant depression had read the book, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan, and was interested in psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. And so sort of when I was sort of coming to um, in my practice, in my PhD, there really was no uh, literature or research on psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. Um, so, you know, when you think about it in the context of medicines, um, there, you know, LSD was in the same, it's a schedule one, you know, drug it's in the same classification as cocaine, heroin, you know? And so, you know, looking at psychedelics was really something that we didn't do. And so I did a deep dive into the research and what I found was really amazing. And so that really prompted my transition. So is there some type of training that you had to go through uh, to get into this field or are you really on the, you know, leading edge and kind of a pioneer in all of this? 
Um, there was training that I had to do. I have my certificate in psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. Um, I also have a certification uh, working with MDMA. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Okay, so Dr. Blazing, your patient inspired you to make that change. So what type of training, like for anyone out there who's listening and wants to get into that alternative type of therapy, what type of training did you go through or should they look at doing? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So it was my patient that actually gave me sort of the um, insight into these different treatment modalities. But, you know, over the past 20 years, I had been really getting frustrated with um, sort of the path of psychotherapy. Um, I, I am a firm believer in talk therapy um, in terms of its effectiveness, but it can take a long time for people to get results and it can be really expensive. And so what, you know, knowing sort of the sort of downsides of psychotherapy, that's really what led me to like really expand my, you know, toolbox. Okay. Um, but it really was the personal experience that I had. So my daughter was addicted to heroin for a decade. And so that really, you know, knowing the landscape of, you know, the limitations of mental health care, of rehab, really was the inspiration of, for me, of, you know, really wanting to change something, you know, despite her best efforts and the best treatment available for her, she could not beat it. And she ended up dying of an, over, of an overdose. So it's very close to my heart to like find um, treatments for mental illness and addiction. And so, and, you know, to answer the other part of the question, you know, there are some great training programs for, you know, psychedelic assisted psychotherapists. Um, the one that I researched and chose was called uh, Prati Psychedelic Research and Training Institute, okay. um, but there are other ones as well. So Dr. Blazing, I know that there are different regulations from state to state around some of these substances. Is this something that is accepted more regionally to where you are, or can we expect to see this on a more national level? You know, and that's one of the things that sort of drew me to Colorado. I'm actually from Chicago and uh, sort of the community and the resources in Chicago around psychedelic assisted therapy are, you know, weren't really there for me. Um, when you're looking at sort of legalization, it is, you know, federally, it is illegal. So, but when you're looking state by state, Oregon has decriminalized it. And so is Colorado. And so uh, living and working in Colorado has really sort of opened up the window for me to treat people um, with, we use ketamine and also we use psilocybin. But with psilocybin, we use it as a way of like harm reduction services. Okay, so I just wanna take a step back for a moment. Earlier, you said that you were doing therapeutic work before you got into this type of therapy specifically, right? Was that correct? You did that for two decades? Yeah. So during those first couple of decades, is alternative therapy something that you were familiar with, something that you thought was important or not important? I mean, 
I know the patient inspired you kind of to change your direction, but what were your feelings on alternative therapy and what did you know about it before you actually had that experience? Yeah, at the time, I really was not um, open to it. You know, psychedelic assisted therapies, you know, based, I think, on my sort of upbringing of drugs being really bad for your brain. Um, right. And not having a lot of, and during my PhD program, not having a lot of, or any actually, any research into these modalities. So, but I had all been getting increasingly frustrated and got my training in EMDR, which is, you know, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is a, a mode of treatment for trauma. So really wanting to like, increase my toolbox of trying to help people. So a couple of times now you've mentioned being frustrated with the way things were, right? What type of stuff are you seeing or were you seeing in your day-to-day -day practice that led to that frustration of, of the status quo of how therapy was being, you know, done at the time? So over the past 20 years, I've seen an increase of depression, anxiety, suicidality, PTSD, eating disorders. So it's just really been such an increase. And when you look at depression, depression rates right now, it's like at an endemic level for the United States. So it's really something that we need to really take seriously. Look at suicidality. It has more than tripled since 1999. And so, wow. you know, and everything has actually gotten worse since the pandemic. We've seen rates of depression, suicidality, over 20% increase since the pandemic. So this is, we're in a mental health crisis and, you know, using psychedelic medicine with psychotherapy is really showing some incredible results that we don't see in even using SSRIs or talk therapy alone. You know, when you're looking at you know, there's been such an increased use in um, antidepressants such as Zoloft, Prozac, and those are the typical SSRIs. But when you look at it, those only are effective for 40% of the population. And with that, there are some incredibly difficult side effects, such as like weight gain, reduced libido, reduced affect. So people who take SSRIs tend to it, it tends to mute them in sort of all sort of different areas, not just whatever diagnosis they're using, but sort of, you know, systemically. And the other thing with SSRIs is it takes a long time for it to actually, you know, be effective if it's going to work at all. And when you're looking then at psychedelics, that rate, the onset is quite fast. You know, you look at ketamine and it's within hours. So, you know, looking at psychedelics as a way to really help people right away and long-term, it's really been remarkable. Wow, so those are some staggering statistics. I guess I realized that things were on the rise as far as mental health issues that people are dealing with, but I never imagined that the, the statistics would be that high. So Dr. Blasing, what would you say is the cost benefit and the length of the longevity for healing with these alternative therapies compared to maybe some more of the traditional modalities that may or may not work for everybody all of the time. 
You know, it it depends actually on what sort of molecule you're using. You know, we are using a lot of ketamine for the treatment resistant depression, for suicidality. It is incredible for suicidality because the rate of onset is so quick. So you have that antidepressant, anti-anxiety effect right away. Um, the problem with ketamine can be that it's not as durable as other the other psychedelics. So when you're looking at long-term effectiveness, the clinical trials are showing that two sessions of psilocybin can lead to long-term you know, changes. Oh, wow. When you're looking at MDMA, you're looking at three sessions of MDMA to long-term changes. With ketamine, you know, it depends on how it's administered. So most people, in terms of the research, it's twice a week for three weeks. And then they'll have some reduction of symptoms for a month, maybe months. But very often, they have to come back and get another round. So when you're looking at sort of durability, ketamine is sort of the least durable than the other compounds. But what's really cool and interesting in our clinic is we've started to use ketamine and psilocybin together. Okay. So ketamine is like a great opener for people. It's uh, really predictable. It's really easy. Um, and so, and it has that antidepressant, anti-anxiety effect right away. And so we use that. So I have the people who fly in actually from all over the world to do treatment. And so we'll do the ketamine as the, the first day, and then we use psilocybin. And psilocybin is much more difficult than ketamine, sort of likened it to, um, so ketamine's like the maternal, like, or not the maternal, like the nice grandmother, you know, really sweet and predictable. And uh, psilocybin's like the stern mother. So it can be kind of jarring. It's like you get to see what you have to work with, you know, and it's not as, it's not as quote unquote nice. Um, and so we use psilocybin as a way to like go deeper and then it has that durability effect. And then we're using ketamine at the end of it because ketamine can then help to sort of take whatever came up with the psilocybin in a way that doesn't take away from the psilocybin, but actually can give people a way to work with whatever came up. Okay, so Dr. Blazing, you said that the psilocybin isn't quite as nice as the ketamine therapy. Can you explain to us what you mean by that and, and maybe walk us through, like if I came in for therapy and I did one of these ketamine sessions, would it help me to open up and talk more? Or what exactly is it that it does, either the ketamine or the, the psilocybin? Um, so, you know, and this is like such an important part, um, psychedelics, in my opinion, ought not to be used unless it's used therapeutically. Like these are really powerful medicines that ha have to be done in a really clinical setting or else they can be dangerous. So, you know, if you come in for a ketamine, we're going to do prep sessions before you get there, you know or okay. you know, whether telehealth or in person. And so you're really primed to go into that session. We work a lot with intention. And so, you know, getting to know like what you wanna get out of it. Um, and then, so the, 
the route of administration is important too. So we use, whether it's the oral, whether it's intramuscular, whether it's IV. Um, so you would have the medicine and you would have eye shades on and a specially curated playlist that goes with sort of the arc of the ketamine journey. Okay. And ketamine is not a traditional psychedelic. It is a disassociative anesthetic and it's effective in, in sort of the, the sweet spot where it's sort of you're in this sort of dreamlike state. So that's where ketamine is effective. And so you would go through this, this journey and then post the journey, we would have in, what they're called is integration sessions and integrate the material that came up for you. So psilocybin is different in that it's a longer experience. So someone will take psilocybin and while you know, ketamine can be, we can be done in two hours with psilocybin, you're looking at five to six hours and the protocol is pretty much the same. You'll have the eye shades on, you'll have the music. It's a different playlist. We're really looking at um, starting out sort of slow and then, you know, you know, using the music as a way to guide somebody's experience. Um, and so it can be a little bit jarring, but we use the eye shades and the music. And then after we also do the integration and, you know, talk about what came up and, you know, next steps. So you've mentioned the different playlists that you use during these therapies. How does the different styles of music or maybe just the different sounds that you're using in these playlists affect the journey of the patient? Um, you know, it's been really important in terms of all of the studies that actually are used, whether the clinical trials are with psilocybin, with LSD, with MDMA. It's interesting. They all have their these different playlists, but they all follow this interesting arc. And the arc is it'll start like with a little bit of classical music and then you know it'll sort of ramp up to a little bit more it's not distressing but you'll see hear more drumming more something a little bit more challenging and then end a little with nature so it's sort of with these different arcs but the playlists are really important in terms of guiding the journey Okay, so Dr. Blazing, a couple things I want to go into here. For one, you said that the LSD or the ketamine or the MDMA or the psilocybin therapies may take a few sessions. But am I correct when I say that like Zoloft or these prescription traditional type medicines actually are something that patients have to stay on their entire life? Yeah. So in the grand scheme of things, doing these alternative therapies with the psychedelic drugs would actually be less harmful to your body over the course of your life because you're taking them less. Would that be an accurate statement? Yeah. And that's, you know, sort of the draw for me also is that I think there, you know, there should be a shift in so, sort of the paradigm of how we treat illnesses and okay. a shift from sort of, you have to take a pill every day to working with something where you're really getting to the bottom of it and, and actually processing and dealing with it so that you act, don't need the medicine. Right. So you're yeah. looking at ways to, to practice in which the, the period of, you know, 
of treatment is much, much lower. So is it accurate to say that these therapies, rather than acting as more of a mask of symptoms or a Band-Aid to the, to the problem, you're really going in and just pulling the problem out by the root? Yeah. And it's, you know, I think that MDMA is a great example of how that works. You know, MDMA, also known as ecstasy or molly, is an incredible medicine with psychotherapy. MDMA does not work psych with, without psychotherapy. But what MDMA does is that it allows you to get to where you need to go in a really productive way. So what MDMA does is it increases the level of dopamine and serotonin in your brain. And those are things that increase motivation, increase sociability, and it also decreases the, the talk between your hippocampus, which is your memory system, and your amygdala, which is your fight and flight, sort of the, the fear center. And so when people are traumatized, what happens is the amygdala goes in high alert. And so they'll have like a startle response. They'll, you know, be very susceptible to all sorts of different um, things in their environment. Environments. So, what with MDMA, what happens is you, there's a lot of prep sessions. I was on the clinical trial for the treatment of PTSD using MDMA, and um, what we found was that. And PTSD, to, just to is a very difficult disease to cure. It's very, very difficult. There are the symptoms that go along with P PTSD, sort of the comorbidity is depression, anxiety, huge substance abuse problems. And so historically, this is something that is so difficult to treat. And with the clinical trials, what we found was 88% of people who did the three sessions of pre-therapy, then three um, sessions of MDMA with three sessions of therapy after each one had an 88% reduction in symptoms and 67% wow. were PTSD sort of free. So, and we don't have that anywhere. Wow. So to hear some of these statistics, it's really actually inspiring and I think encouraging for people because a lot of times in our society, we seem to think like, oh, everybody has anxiety, everybody has depression or PTSD. It's just something that we all have to learn how to deal with. But you're saying that there is another option where we can actually start to heal from these things. So Elena just mentioned, you know, PTSD, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, whatever the case may be, what are you seeing now in your practice as being the most prevalent mental health problems or disorders? Um, depression, anxiety are the two top two. I'm um, seeing a lot of substance use disorders, especially post uh, the pandemic. And so in your opinion, you know, what is, what is causing the spike in these disorders is there even a spike in these disorders? Has it always been this way, but just now there's more of a spotlight on it? Or are the numbers actually getting higher? And if so, what do you think contributes to that the most? 
you know, I think that we have a system, a mental health system uh, that isn't helpful for people, for folks. And, you know, it's with anything else. If you're not dealing with what you have to deal with, it gets worse. So Dr. Blazing, based on some of the conversation, it seems like you think that the system is maybe a little out of date, right? And we need more updated, modern ways to deal with some of these problems that people are having. What, in your opinion, is the best way to deal with these type of problems? And what, what should we be doing? What should therapists be doing to really help patients heal? You know, I think that, um, and this is, you know, I think that talk therapy is a really valuable tool. And, and I think that it takes a long time and it's not for everybody. And even if somebody comes to talk therapy, really wanting to get better and really engaged and trying their hardest, it's really hard to get to the material sometimes that they need to go. And, so, you know, I liken, you know, the use of ketamine and psilocybin has like sort of like the ability to really understand where the issues are for people. Because as a therapist, somebody comes in and they're giving you their history and, you know, it could be trauma in childhood. It could be a breakup. It could be whatever it is. It is like a sort of a, a mining experiment, like trying to figure out what actually is causing these symptoms. And it can take a lot of time. It can be very distressing for people. And with ketamine and with psilocybin, it's, it's like, you don't have to do that work. It's like your own, it's all internal. It will show up for you exactly what needs to be worked on. So I think having these medicines is a really good way with a trained clinician of getting to exactly what you need to get to in a really effective way. So in these sessions, uh, if a patient does have something come up that maybe they need to work through, in those after sessions, are you using more traditional like talk therapy so, you know, we call them integration sessions rather than traditional psychotherapy, but they they follow sort of the same lines of a traditional psychotherapy session with one caveat. And that is, it's a little bit more forward thinking in that you're taking the material that came up during the psychedelic experience and you're making number one meaning from it. And then number two, you're creating a plan for to go forward. So it's very sort of meaning making and very active. So Dr. Blazing, back to what you said earlier about the, you know, the spikes in the mental disorders and everything. Do you think that today's modern society and the way people live their lives are contributing to that? People getting less exercise, being more involved in social media, everything being documented, people, I don't know, living very much for the moment, it seems like. What are your thoughts on you know that? And do you believe that modern society is contributing to the spikes in mental health um, just as much as the therapy sessions being you know, outdated? You know, I think that there's research that show, does show um, that you know, screen time 
affects depression and anxiety. So I think that, you know, as a society, we've become, you know, really addicted to these devices, which now we can actually point to are creating anxiety and depression. So I think that that's part of it. And I think it's a really complex problem. Yeah, you're right. It is a very complex issue. You know, I'm always reading studies that have different theories as to why these mental health disorders or whatever may be happening. So it seems like nobody has the perfect answer. I think trying to learn as much as we can is, is really the way to go. So I know Oregon has recently legalized some of these psychedelics and obviously Colorado where you practice has as well. When do you see other states uh, coming on board and also legalizing some of these psychedelics and incorporating these type of therapies within their state? Yeah, and I, you know, just to be clear, so with Colorado, they decriminalized. So in oh. terms of, which is, you know, there are specific plants and fungi with that uh, people can, can use for their own personal use, right? They oh. you can't sell it. Yeah. So there's, so it's decriminalized. So how we, you know, use it in a clinic is that we're not, we're not allowed to prescribe and we're not allowed to recommend. So if someone comes to the clinic and wants to use these, we can use them, but it's, it's not, it's not legal. Okay. If that makes sense. So what challenges does that present for you as a practitioner, if any, um, just with there being such a fine line there? Um, so, you know, how we're working with it is we have a nonprofit organization that uh, gifts the psilocybin, which is important, you know, that we know the strain of psilocybin that we're using. Yeah. We can be, you know, very confident and comfortable with um, sort of how to dose and what the effects are going to be. So we, we're not prescribing, we're not recommending, but we, we work with a nonprofit that, that gifts the psilocybin to, to our patients. So Dr. Blazing, are there any risk associated with these type of psychedelics? Um, you know, just thinking of what's in popular culture, right? You, you know, you hear about LSD, which is one of the psychedelics we can do therapy with now. And you hear about bad trips and things of that sort, kind of the same with the psilocybin and the mushrooms. Are there any risk associated with these type of therapies? Um, there are risks associated with these therapies. Um, and it, you know, some of them are, you know, by substance, you know, and some of them are sort of on a blanket risk. And like, these are really powerful medicines that ought not to be used within a, without having an experienced clinician and in a clinical setting. The, that's like the most important, you know, these substances have to be used with traditional talk therapy. But when you're talking about um, the, the use of psychedelics, they are effective for some people. Um, they're not effective for all people. And especially there can be profound risks if you're looking at somebody who, with especially psilocybin, LSD, more the classic psychedelics. Somebody has a, a disorder that is more along like can have a psychotic episode. So you want to be okay. really careful with 
people and have a really good intake that you're sort of looking at family history, you're looking at their mental health history, because these are, you know, and especially when you're talking about MDMA taken outside of the clinical setting is, can be very dangerous in terms of your brain. Um, when you're looking at ketamine, ketamine can be addictive. It's part of ketamine is, you know, it's a, what we call a dirty medicine right. and dirty, not being like bad, but that it affects th at least three different parts of your brain. And so one of those parts is the opioid receptor. And so you have to be really careful because it can be addictive. So full disclosure, people should not be taking these to self-medicate, right? Or to even uh, have fun, recreational use. This type of stuff is powerful and it can be beneficial if used in the right setting with the right care. Absolutely. And, and not only that, when you're looking at you know, what they do, what's the beauty of it is they, you know, they increase your neuroplasticity. And that is not a, automatically a great thing. You want that increase of neuroplasticity to be adaptive, okay. right? So if it's maladaptive, that actually is a harmful thing. So these medications, they can harm people if they're not used correctly, you know? They're, they're sometimes known as amplifiers. So if you're amplifying something that is maladaptive, you're amplifying the wrong thing. So, you know, I think that it's really important for people to understand that, you know, just using them is not going to help. You have to use them with an experienced clinician in a clinical setting. Okay. Hey, Dr. Blazing, next I want to ask about microdosing. Can you explain to us and to the audience what microdosing is? Is that something that your practice does? Um, so microdosing is taking a sort of sub-perceptual um, dose of whatever substance, whether it be psilocybin, MDMA, um, LSD. Um, so the research on uh, microdosing it has not been great. Uh, so, sort of the effectiveness for treating treatment-resistant depression, PTSD, eating disorders has not shown to be effective for right now for microdosing. Um, so, you know, I think until, you know, more studies are done and that, you know, there's something that shows that it can be effective, um, I would not recommend microdosing. I think okay. some of the uh, studies that they've done actually with um, rodents have shown that um, after a session of microdosing, um, they become more irritated, they become more agitated. So when you're thinking about a substance such as um, psilocybin or LSD, what it does is it links to your serotonin receptor, your 2A receptor. And so, you know, when you think about that, th those levels of serotonin are really heightened. And if you're taking it all the time, like you're microdosing it, you're not giving your brain a break. It's, so we don't know what level of serotonin actually can be harmful. So- 
Okay. Long story short, I think that microdosing, the jury's out on that. Um, right now, I know that some people have said that they've, you know, had great results with microdosing. Not sure if that's the placebo or if there needs to just be more studies on it. Okay. And also sort of from a different point of view, I think that it gets into the same sort of medical paradigm that we've been in that really is for me been ineffective and that is that people have to take a substance you know every day in mm -hmm. order to feel better and i think being able to really eradicate uh sort of whatever is beneath is the most important thing that's really interesting. So you had mentioned that um, the clinic that you work at has a very robust intake process. And I also noticed on the website that there's something called brain mapping. Is that part of this intake process that you referred to or is that something totally separate? And can you speak a little bit more to that? Yeah, so, you know, with the Wholeness Center, the, it's really an integrative, you know, center. And so we're looking at your brain, we're looking at your gut health, we're doing genetic testing, doing psychosocial assessments. So it's really a holistic way of looking at a person and looking at sort of what dysfunctions and also what strengths they have. So the QEEG, which is the brain mapping, is a is a test that's non-invasive that allows you to see actually what's going on in your brain like sort of and also to be able to see like the depression patterns if there are any overwhelm patterns um adhd patterns so anxiety patterns and so it really is a way to get inside and to be able to diagnose what people are going through and also be able to rule out any medications or be able to suggest any supplements. So it's a really great tool diagnostically. Fascinating. So would you say that this is a bit more data-driven than maybe some more traditional talk therapy where it can be a little bit more anecdotal from client to the therapist and having the therapist having to assess more of a story rather than these data-driven points? Yeah, you know, when you think about it, you know, if you went to the doctor and the doctor just talked to you and just prescri prescribed like a cholesterol medication without any labs, like that would be ludicrous, yeah. you know, right. and we do that with, you know, very often in this mental health field where we're yeah. taking what somebody's saying, like in this very small snapshot of time and diagnosing it and then medicating. And so being able to have other tools at your dispense is like very important in terms of really providing a proper diagnosis and treatment. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Like you would never just go to a traditional doctor and tell them what you think is going on and then them prescribe you medicine without actually evaluating you themselves. So yeah, that's a great way to put it. So I was just thinking about something, you know, something you said earlier that kind of still resonates when you said you were frustrated with a lot of the ways traditional therapy uh, was working. Are you also frustrated with the fact that 
so many people in our society are taking these chemically manufactured drugs daily and they're dependent on them and that the doctors are prescribing them yet at the same time look kind of negatively at these alternative methods of therapy which might even be a healthier and better um, solution does that bother you at all no i think you know that it's this is a evolving um area and i and i have you know at coming from this space of really having a lot of doubts about this and a lot of fears frankly um to really delving into the research for me that is a really important part of this so i have a lot of um you know compassion i also have a lot of like this is new so we ought to be a little bit hesitant we ought to be coming into this as you know really protective and really um really careful you know i think that you know when people are in pain they they want to have a relief whether it's an antidepressant or whether it's something else so so is that compassion something that really guides you to help people through understanding these alternative modalities? And in today's society, if you find pushback against you know, these, these alternative modalities, how do you uh, kind of combat that to really highlight the benefits of what you do? I think right now, I'm not providing any pushback from it. I think it's important that, you know, you know, to be able to hear what people's concerns are, to be able to, you know, so I'm not, I'm not one to provide a pushback. I think that these medicines are incredible for some people and um, I hope that they have access to them. And um, th there's plenty of those people to treat that I don't think that there has to be a lot of, you know, sort of getting other people to get online or to, you know, so. And that's a good way to look at it, um, you know, rather than trying to force a change on the whole system, um, if the more traditional modalities aren't working for people, at least what you do can provide an alternative option. And it's important to understand that these SSRIs, they can be life-changing for some people. And there are some people that that is actually the best treatment protocol for them and they ought to be available for people you know so it's not to knock them it's just that there are it doesn't work for 60 percent of the population there are side effects that are really hard to deal for most to deal with and it takes a long time for it to work or when you're depressed that's a long you know yeah. it could be a month or more for it to work that's a long time but not to knock the use of antidepressants because for some people it's just life-changing. So it seems like in the perfect world for Dr. Blazing, both types of therapy, like more traditional talk therapy and the newer cutting edge psychedelic therapy, both would be available and patients would have the flexibility to find which one works best for them. Is that right? Absolutely. And not to knock talk therapy. I mean, I still do it. I've done it for 24 right. years. I think it can be very effective. I think talk therapy with psychedelics, that's a game changer. But talk therapy is way better than no therapy at all. So 
Dr. Blazing, what do we need to do as a society to get to that point where we're more open to having multiple options for therapy? Because even you yourself at the beginning of the interview said that there was a time when you were skeptical or when you had these like negative connotations associated with, you know, psychedelics and you're in the industry. So for other people outside of the industry, what do you think we need to do as a society to make it more acceptable and open to have these alternative methods of therapy available? You know, I think that um, over time and over the sort of looking at the clinical studies and also looking at how it's being effective for treatment, I think that over time that that will just be sort of a natural coming to. Okay. You know, I'm seeing, you know, a lot more people who are really interested in using these medicines today than I did three years ago. So the word is getting out on how effective they are for the treatment of all sorts of diseases, and particularly those that are really difficult to treat. That's really great to hear that we're at least making some strides in healing the nation. And it sounds like um, you said people from all over the world come to your clinic, so healing the world. Can you speak more to what your, you and your team at this clinic do collectively to move forward in this healing journey for people? So, you know, as I was saying before, I really became interested in using these medicines for the treatment of mental illness. And, you know, after my daughter's death and my youngest daughter going away to college, it was, you know, during the, right after the pandemic, and so most of my clients were now via telehealth and I could have the opportunity to move, to go to wherever I wanted to go to. And so I took about six months researching different places in the United States and also in the UK where, you know, I had these specific conditions in mind that I, that had to be in, you know, wherever I was going to go, it had to be more of an integrative medicine place, because what I've realized is that you can't just look at one piece of the pie. And my piece of the pie has always been sort of the psychodynamic piece. You know, you can treat that, but if you're not treating sort of the body, if you're not looking at the mind, then you're missing the whole pie. And so I really wanted to work in an organization that they were looking at the whole body, that they're looking at the brain, they're looking at gut health, they're looking at sort of spirituality, they're looking at the whole person. So that was really important to me. The other thing that was really important to me was that it had to be scientifically, you know, in nature. So the wholeness center is really at the front end of all of sort of the clinical trials one of one of a handful that was that was doing the mdma clinical trials and also was able with the wholeness center to do a clinical trial using uh, lsd for the treatment of generalized anxiety disorder and now we're doing a clinical trial using uh, 5-MeO-DMT for treatment resistant depression and so for me, having that research part, that sort of scientific part was really critical to me. So culturally, we, we've been hearing a lot more about you know, DMT, ayahuasca, some of these more tribal 
um, cultural remedies or experiences that people undergo. So what would you say is sort of that shift that's happening and maybe a bridge that could be forming between these you know, traditional, cultural, anecdotal experiences and a more data-driven, you know, scientifically studied approach to these, you know, substances that people um, can use for these experiences? You know, I think that it's sort of a, it's going to be a, a, a balance, right? I think, you know, there's a lot of people who know more about it and are, you know, well-educated about it. I think, you know, one of the things that wholeness is doing that I really love is um, providing experiences retreat-based. So twice a year, we go to Costa Rica and work, we sort of bring the ketamine. And so we're using ketamine therapy with psilocybin therapy, which is done by a shaman. Okay. And then ketamine. So we're doing sort of the what I call the ketamine sandwich okay. in, in Costa Rica. And it's just such an incredibly healing experience for people. And it really taps into that spirituality component. So when you chose the wholeness center to work at, part of that was because of their, you know, structure around mind, body, spirit. And I noticed there's a psycho-spiritual assessment um, on the website. Can you tell us more about what that is and how that's incorporated into your patient's healing? So that's, you know, what I was talking about before, like really looking at into, into the, really the depth of sort of the psychology, looking at somebody's brain, looking at their spirituality practice, looking at, you know, their gut, looking at nutrition, but having the whole sort of that whole pie. So that's the assessment. And, you know, what's really cool about, uh, the wholeness center is that it's a very collaborative process. So we have psychiatrists, we have naturopathic doctors, we have therapists, we have um, psychiatric nurse practitioners, and we all meet twice a week and we go through our patients. And so we're really talking about, you know, people and the wholeness of them. And it's such a great way to get to be able to help our patients, to be able to, you know, we'll talk about them and everybody will like chime in, you know, have you looked at this? And this is what I think. So I think that our patients get a level of care that really is missing when you're working with a practitioner in a private practice, because you're getting so much feedback, you're getting so much richness from these professionals. And Dr. Blazing, another thing on the website that really caught my eye was this um, Wholeness Academy that can be found within the, the website uh, of your center. And can you tell us more about that? It seemed like a, like an educational resource where people can learn and, and actually study on their own. And it's open to anyone. Am I right about that? Yeah, it's a great uh, resource for people, you know, and it's, it's, we all contribute to with our expertise and different various topics. So, you know, and I think that it's when you're thinking about you know, these medicines, they're, they're important medicines, but they have to be done in a clinical setting. They have to be done with a clinician. And also there has to be antidepressive behaviors that go with them. 
right? So if someone takes a substance such as psilocybin or ketamine, and they're not, and their behaviors post that session are pro-depressive, right? So they're not taking care of sort of their, what to move forward with their nutrition, exercise. They're not working with whatever brain, you know, things that they might have, whether it's anxiety, whether it's, you know, overwhelm, then it's not going to be long lasting. So what we do is we work with sort of the substance and also work with antidepressant behaviors, whether that be the proper sleep, whether that be proper nutrition counseling. So it's the behaviors after that are really important when you're talking about long-term effectiveness of these treatments. So in my experience, and I think probably the experience of most people across the nation, traditional um, practitioners, you typically get 10 to 15 minutes with them unless you schedule you know, a longer specialty session maybe. Um, can you walk us through, being that you're uh, at the Wholeness Center, your team is kind of all hands on deck, really looking at the full person, mind, body, spirit. What can people expect as far as the length of time they get with your staff um, from one visit to then also coming back and having you know, future sessions? You know, it's very individual. And it's based on, you know, sort of what they're coming for. You know, if we have somebody coming who's interested in doing ketamine or harm reduction services with psilocybin, you know, they will have prep sessions, you know, three 45-minute prep sessions with a therapist. They'll have a session with, um, you know, to get the QEEG done. They'll have a session with a naturopathic doctor or nurse practitioner. And so it's an extensive amount of time. You're looking at, you know, maybe five, six hours pre-medicine session. Okay. So depending on the modality, there might be a few hours difference here and there. So is it something that you think is better when people especially are flying in from all different areas, that they come and they spend some time just in the area where your practice is? Um, or do you think that people benefit more from this retreat style where all their healing can sort of be condensed into one experience? Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the retreats. You know, I think that just being away from your sort of everyday and when people are flying in, it's it can be more of retreat-like. You know, when you're working with these medicines and really going deep, being able to have space, whether you're going and if you're coming to Colorado for the treatments, you're then going to a hotel or Airbnb, you know, you're not going back to your regular sort of environment, the, the retreat based is like you're really being held by therapists for an entire week. And that's it can be a really healing experience. So, Dr. Blazing, this has been a great conversation. I really hope some people, you know, get as much out of this as, as I did. I learned a lot. Thank you so much for your time. We're going to make sure to include links to your center, the Wholeness Center, um, in our description of the video as well as in our social media and stuff. So, um, thank you again, and we really appreciate oh, the time. It's great being here. Thank, thank you. you.